and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the show dedicated to stories told through the medium of sound, showcasing the diversity and vitality of modern audio theater. Hear your news, reviews, discussion, and of course, stories. I am your host, Fred. That great theme music is by Roger Grego of Crazy Dog Audio Theater. So here we are, the month of December, continuing our holidays but bent um, series and focus here. Um, those of us who like to put a little bit of extra good stuff in our eggnog will appreciate the um, the alternative to the mall experience, but still authentically looking for w- what sort of magic there is for this time of year. It's celebrated in so many different cultures and times and peoples across the worlds and ages. So um, no better group to help us explore that than the Chatterbox Audio Theater. I uh, love this original production by um, written by Bob Arnold, um, a great producer, but also shows that he's got some writing chops. Um, I thought his piece, The Homestead, was was really, really good. And this piece also shows that he can keep up with that contemporary drama, have it have uh, realistic situations and uh, interpersonal drama that keeps you hooked and keeps you interested. Great dialogue, really works with audio form well. We heard the first part of Snow Globe last week about an estranged daughter coming home uh, to her uh, mother and with sort of a very mystical experience having seen uh, what she thinks is a scene from her childhood in a snow globe. Now it's part two as we explore the, 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 the meanings of her coming home after all these years. Hope you enjoy part two of Snow Globe. The first time I ran away from home, I was 12 years old. It felt momentous. I remember packing my things with trembling hands, then lying awake in bed while my clock radio counted up the hours. When I left, I I didn't turn on a single light. I lifted the front door and its hinges to keep it from squeaking. I had the feeling that these were the opening paces of a lifelong journey, one that would prove adventurous and romantic and more than a little terrifying. And I was ready. The second time I ran away, I was 17, and it didn't really seem like a big deal. In fact, it felt blandly inevitable, like the ending to a movie you've already seen. I had spent the summer waiting tables and had amassed enough money to keep myself afloat. I stuffed a backpack and strolled out through the front door in the early evening, walked right past both my parents. Neither one of them even asked me where I was going. On the bus, I wasn't upset or scared or angry. More than anything, I was relieved. My second attempt at running away had none of the drama of the first, and of course, the second attempt was the one that worked. I expect tonight will be more like that first time. I expect I'll feel nervous and lost for a while, but that ultimately I'll slip back into bed before anyone even realizes I'm gone. On the other hand, there's a chance, remote but real, that what I discover out there will finally launch me on that journey, that romantic and terrifying adventure I imagined for myself so many years ago. And if that's the case, well, just like before, I'm ready. Chatterbox Audio Theater presents Snow Globe, an original production written by Robert Arnold. Act Two. Bye. 
this even? God. Hello? Ah! Sorry, sorry, Mrs. Wexler. I didn't mean to scare you. No, no, Ted, honey. It's all right. Uh, Don't mind me. I'm just not used to strange men prowling around my home after dark. Have you seen Samantha? Not since she went to bed. Where is she sleeping? Did you put her in there with me? Eventually I did, yes. I felt a little strange about it, of course, because, well, you know. No. With the two of you not being married and all. Ah... You do realize that Sam and I live together, right? Young man, I consider myself very open-minded. Whatever you do in the privacy of your home is your business. It's only when you do the same things in my house that they become shameful and improper. (laughs) I see. But unfortunately, Samantha is very headstrong, just as she's always been. And anyway, she pointed out that you were quite unconscious and therefore quite harmless. So I thought maybe it would be all right. Well, I just woke up and she's not there. She's probably in the bathroom, dear. She's always had an overactive bladder, as I'm sure you've discovered by now. Used to drive her grade school teachers crazy. They could hardly get through a lesson. Anyway, I'm sure she's around here somewhere. I guess so. Goodness, look at me. I'm an absolute fright. Normally, I wouldn't allow anyone to see me like this. I mean anyone, aside from Larry, who of course doesn't count. But I woke up just ravenous, so I slipped down here for a quick midnight snack. Now that you mention it, I'm kind of hungry myself. I don't know about you, but I didn't eat a bite all evening. I had been saving room for cheese smears and a few scraps of gray chicken and whatever other awful things one can put on a soda cracker. I'm sorry we made you miss your party. Don't give it another thought. It was their loss anyway. I can promise you that party was the absolute pits without me there to liven things up. They were going to have karaoke. Karaoke? Can you imagine? (laughs) Your friends looked pretty confused when you told them you weren't going. Who, the Fredericksons? Oh, don't worry about them. She's a perpetual grad student and he's a closet case. (laughs) They're used to being confused. Well, anyway... Don't let me interrupt your snack. I just heard you down here and thought you might be Sam. I'm not, I'm afraid. Not even close. Though genetically, we must be very similar. Would you like to join me? Thanks. I might, actually. What do you have? Mm, Let's see. We appear to have some potatoes that have gotten tired of waiting on us and have decided to sprout appendages and walk away. There's a carton of Chinese food that I remember bringing home prior to Thanksgiving. And then there's a long plastic container whose insides are covered with condensation and whose contents are therefore completely obscured. Oh, I'm reluctant to open it for fear of releasing some kind of eternal curse on the world. Sounds delicious. Larry is a food hoarder, I'm sorry to say. I've tried to rid him of the habit, but like all of his endearing quirks, it's proven resistant to eradication. Every couple of weeks, I have to tell the cleaning lady to throw away whatever's in the fridge. But she's out of the country for a while, and now it's like some kind of food mortuary in there. Luckily, we do seem to have the ingredients for a decent ham sandwich. Works for me. Got any cheese? Possibly. How brave are you? Never mind. I'll get us some plates. In the cabinets above the sink, dear. I must say, it's strange to have some life in this house again. Oh? Strange in a good way, I mean. I'm used to Larry being here, of course, but he's something of a dud, if you hadn't noticed. It's a pretty big house for just the two of you. And yet, I can't bring myself to leave it. Samantha grew up here, you know. After she and her father left, it took me a while to adjust to the place. All of a sudden, it felt unfamiliar, like I had just moved in. By which I mean you suddenly notice a lot of things. The refrigerator, for instance, seemed incredibly loud, and all of the lights felt dim and far away. I had trouble sleeping for a good long while. By now, though, this house and I are old friends. Mrs. Wexler, may I ask you something? You may ask me anything you like, dear, though I reserve the right to shriek and cover my ears rather than answer. 
What was so horrible about Samantha's father? Whoever said he was horrible. She did. I see. He was fairly horrible, I guess. But I never understood why Samantha seemed so unhappy with him. With either of us, really. Did he hit you? Did he what? No, 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 nothing like that. Oh, nothing. Nothing ever like that. What in the world gave you such an idea? Samantha isn't embellishing, is she? Drafting up some fresh memories in preparation for a lurid autobiography? No, she just seems to have a lot of anger toward him, toward that whole time of her life. She's never told me why exactly. Is that so? Well... Like mother, like daughter, I suppose. Apparently, we Wexler women are extremely possessive of our pasts. Hand me those plates, will you, dear? No, her father wasn't violent in the least. He was simply unengaged. It was different when we were dating. Back then, he was as lively and as personable as a man could be. But after we got married, he started to shut down. I guess that makes sense. Young man, how rude. You are a guest in my home. Sorry, sorry that came out wrong. I just mean it jibes with what Sam has told me about him. Ah, well, in that case, she's correct. He was a real firecracker at first. He liked to spar with me. It got him going. He liked to drink, too. After a while, he developed a tolerance for both activities, meaning he had to do them more intensely and more often in order to get anything out of it. And eventually that took its toll. Not just on him, you understand. Did Samantha ever get caught up in the fighting? Of course, all the time. It was more or less unavoidable. Plus, she was never afraid to stand up to either one of us, which, as you can imagine, was fairly irritating. But, Ted, please try to understand. That was simply how we interacted in this household. No one ever really meant any harm. We always wanted the best for each other. I'm not sure Sam took it that way. No? No. I mean, try to imagine growing up around that, that constant tension, that bickering. She didn't know not to take it seriously. I think she stressed over it, felt guilty. I think on some level she is always worried that it was her fault. Yes. Yes, I suppose maybe she did. It's difficult sometimes with a child around, Ted. It's hard to remember that anything you say or do at any time, even if it just comes from a whim or a bad mood, any of it could turn into some kind of formative experience in this other person's life. That's an awful lot of responsibility, especially for somebody like me. I never really wanted to help form anything. I was just trying to get by. Well... Don't these sandwiches look delicious? Let's sit at the table, shall we? And why don't you turn on the radio for us? A little night music? Sure. Now then, isn't that festive? You know, with everything that's been going on, I had practically forgotten that it's a holiday. Santa could be in the den this very minute unloading his sleigh. He's probably leaving Larry and me a big bag of coal or reindeer droppings. But it's better than being forgotten. How's your sandwich, dear? It's fine, thank you. So, uh, when did you and Samantha's father split up? Oh, my. You certainly are an inquisitive sort, aren't you? I get the feeling you're testing a hypothesis or preparing some kind of deposition. No, no. Sorry, I'm just curious. We don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. No, it's all right. It's just been a long time since I've thought about that portion of my life. He left a few years after Samantha did, a few years before he died. Did anything happen? To make him leave, I mean? No, nothing happened. 
One night, he was just gone. He had a habit of disappearing, you see, sometimes for days at a stretch. But he always came back. That time, though, he simply didn't. There weren't a lot of histrionics involved. Samantha left quietly, too. It's strange. I seem to drive people to desert me in a rather stoic manner. I don't know why that is, but as you can imagine, I don't particularly care to dwell on it. Well, now, how rude of me. Here I am just blabbing away about myself, and yet I don't know the first thing about you. What do you say? Any painful life experiences you'd like to share? Wait, wait a second. Shh. Firefighters and emergency crews are on the scene trying to contain the blaze. It's not clear whether anyone was inside the buildings when they started to burn. Once again, we're getting reports of a massive fire at an industrial park on Sycamore Avenue near the Consolidated Southern Railroad line. We'll keep you posted with updates as we receive them. For now, we return you to our musical Christmas Eve celebration with the lovely waltz of the flowers. My God, is that the building? Is that the place Larry was talking about? I I don't know. Samantha, Jesus, where is she? Go look. Go. I'll get Larry. Sam? Sam, are you here? Larry? Oh, Larry, wake up and get down here quickly, please. Lord, Samantha, what have you done? Larry? All right, all right, all right, I hear you. What's going on? A freaking air raid or something? What time is it? It's nearly midnight. Larry, listen, we can't find Samantha. And the radio just said that there's a building on fire at Sycamore near the train tracks. What? Wait a minute, you mean... Our car's gone. Oh, no. Hang on, I'm, I'm gonna try our cell. How bad is it? Is anybody hurt? For God's sake, Larry, how should I know? I'm not omnipotent. I don't have a crystal ball. Well, what else did they say about it? Larry, surely there is something you can do in a crisis situation besides standing there like a moron and trying to interview me. I've told you everything they said. For once, I know as little as you do. Stress really brings out the best in you, doesn't it, dear? There's no answer. Larry, you know where this place is, right? We've got to get over there. I'll grab my keys. But wait, shouldn't somebody stay here in case she comes back? You stay, Bess. Ted and I can only deal with one disaster at a time. That's a good idea. Why don't you stay behind, Mrs. Wexler? You mean, alone? It'll be fine. We'll call you as soon as we know something. But Ted, please, what if... Yes? What if she leaves? What do you mean? If Samantha comes back and I'm the only one here, I'm afraid I won't be able to make her stay. I'm afraid she'll run away again. Why would she do that? Oh, Ted, don't be obtuse. Being obtuse is Larry's job and he's much better at it than you are. She hates me. Mrs. Wexler, I'm sure she doesn't hate you. Of course she does. You can see it in every inch of her. Please, Ted, you stay too. If she comes back to this house, it won't be because she's looking for me. Okay, let's roll. Better grab a coat, Ted Duardo. Some shoes wouldn't be a bad idea either. Larry, you go. Ted needs to stay here with me. What? Why? In case Samantha comes back in some kind of state, you know, some kind of emotionally fragile condition. In which case, I'm afraid she won't listen to me. Oh, all right. If that's the way you want it, I guess I can always, uh, go it alone. Wait, wait. Hang on a second, Larry. No, no, Ted, she's right. This makes more sense. Besides, chances are that Samantha will turn back up any minute. Yes, of course she will. That's almost certainly what will happen. Larry, maybe I should go with you after all. No, no, it's better this way, Ted. I've got my phone on me. One of you can give me a call when Sam shows back up. Yes, yes, fine. That sounds fine. Now get going, Larry, and please be careful. I'm going to check the radio again, see if they're talking about it anymore.
Larry, Larry, listen, I'm trusting you, okay? Now is not the time for driving off into the night and getting lost. Hey, I'm just following orders, Tedwardo. Larry, please. Samantha may be in real trouble out there. I'm counting on you, okay? We all are. Don't you worry about a thing, Ted. I'm sure Samantha will be just fine, but look, if anything happens to me, and it won't, you understand, but just in case if it does, there's a letter in the top drawer of my dresser, all ready to go. You can show it to Bess. It'll explain everything. You won't have to say a word. Bess? Bess, darling, I'm leaving! Well, don't just stand around telling me about it. Go! Go! You heard the lady. Goodbye, Ted. Like I say, don't worry about a thing. I'm sure it'll all work out. <sighs> Good Lord, what was that all about? I swear, you take that man to a party and he won't say two words to anyone. But the minute you give him an assignment, all he wants to do is stand around and chat. Did they say anything else about the fire? No, they're still just playing music. It's those awful steamroller people. I think I can't stand these contemporary Christmas songs. Can you give me the classics any day? Maybe we should turn on the TV, see if any of the local stations are talking about it. Yes, all right. That sounds like a good idea. Oh, nothing on this channel anyway. What is this? Some kind of game show? It's all in another language. Are they trying to lasso each other? Flip it around a little bit, will you? I'm going to try calling Sam again. Come on, pick up. Pick up. Sam, honey, it's me. Listen, it's almost midnight and we don't know where you are. And we're all really worried, okay? Please call me back as soon as you get this. Please. I love you. Any luck? Look, they're showing that movie where Santa Claus gets locked up in the asylum. Isn't that charming? Somehow I'd forgotten this film even existed. Mrs. Wexler, please. I'm sorry, dear, but I went through the local stations and there's not a single thing about it. I doubt there are many news reporters out at midnight on Christmas Eve. This is bad. This is really bad. Try not to fret, dear. Fretting never did anybody a bit of good. There's nothing we can do at the moment but wait. You might as well have a seat. <sighs> Now then, if I remember the plot correctly, this poor little girl has been hypnotized into believing that her jolly-looking older friend is not a minimum-wage department store employee, but is, in fact, the real, actual Santa Claus. Which, of course, because it's a movie, he is. Never mind that the concept of a real Santa creates all sorts of logistical problems, like how he gets down chimneys, and why exactly his workshop has never been discovered by polar explorers. Plus, there's a whole naughty or nice designation, which in the real world would require nearly constant surveillance of underage children, something that would be considered perverse and also quite illegal. I don't care who you are. Come to think of it... I can't see why anybody would want Santa Claus to be real. He's a pleasant enough figure in the abstract, but immoral and somewhat terrifying when taken literally. Mrs. Wexler, please. I know you're trying to take your mind off things, but I don't think you appreciate how fragile Sam is right now. I don't think you understand where she's coming from. Where she's coming from? For God's sake, she comes from me. I'm where she's coming from. You think I don't understand that? Excuse me, please, I... I didn't mean to raise my voice. It's... it's all right. I hope so. Just look at that sweet, trusting little girl cavorting innocently with that furry old deviant. And yet, you don't have to worry about her at all, do you? 
because it's the movies. Because no matter what obstacles pop up, you know she'll always be safe in the end. Wouldn't it be nice to live in that world? Yes. Yes, Mrs. Wexler, it sure would. Sam? Sam! Oh, thank God you're back. Ted? Uh, Sam, what happened? Where did you go? Are you all right? I'm fine. God, we were so worried. Sit down. Sit down. You smell like smoke. Were you there? Were you at the fire? Hello, dear. I'm so happy you're okay. Hello, Mother. What are you doing down here? We were waiting for you, dear. We were all very worried. In fact, Larry is out there somewhere right now doing his pitiful best to find you. I didn't mean to worry anybody. I I didn't think you'd wake up. It's fine, Sam. It's fine. We're just relieved that you're back. Will someone tell Larry that I'm here? Of course, dear. I'll call him right now. Samantha, God, you scared us. We heard about the fire over the radio and we just... we didn't know. Larry, it's me. Samantha is here. You can quit playing the Lone Ranger now and... What do you... I don't see why. What? Larry? Larry? Ugh, how odd. Is he coming back? I suppose so. I don't quite know what he meant. Can I have something to drink, please? Of course, of course. What would you like, water, tea? Is there anything stronger? Dear, remember where you are. The strong stuff practically flows from the tap around here. Let me fix you something. Look, Sam, what's going on? Why did that building burn? Were you out there? Here you go, darling. This was your favorite when you were a baby. Always put you right to sleep. Thank you. Yes, Ted, I was out there. Well, what happened? Listen, Ted... Mother, I'll tell you about it, okay? I'll tell you the best I can, but you won't believe it. To be honest, I don't even know if I believe it. So please don't bother pointing out that it's crazy or that it doesn't make sense. I know that. I I know, but still, it happened. It's the truth. First of all, I'm sorry I snuck out, but I couldn't sleep. Knowing that this place was real and that it was out there, not 20 minutes away, knowing that there might be... Something waiting for me. Some kind of answer. I'm sorry I didn't take you with me, Ted, but I decided that if this whole thing with the snow globe was a message, then it was a message for me. It was something I needed to receive. Alone. I didn't want to wait until the morning. I couldn't. So I took the keys and I took the car and I drove out there feeling sick with excitement, but at the same time not really expecting anything. Just just wanting to see. It was almost 11.30 by the time I found the place. It didn't look like anything I imagined. It's part of a complex, I guess, this big lot with clusters of metal buildings, like warehouses. I don't remember ever seeing that place when I was a kid, but there it was, just where Larry said. From the sign out front, it looked like there were five or six businesses that have space there, and The very bottom of the list, in letters that were so bleached out you could hardly read them, Winterland Memories, building number 900. It was snowing a little when I pulled into the parking lot. I drove around under the floodlights until I found a building with the number 900 stenciled on the door. It looked anonymous, just like all the others, ugly and beige, its roof swampy with dead leaves and rainwater. So, now I knew. The place existed It was real, but it was the most nondescript building you could possibly imagine. It hardly even had any windows. 
and just looking at it told me nothing. I parked in front of the door. There wasn't another car anywhere in sight, so I got out and started poking around. I couldn't see in through the windows. It was too dark inside, so I tried the front door. It was unlocked. It opened with this eager little gasp of air, like it was excited to see me. I guess that's ridiculous, but still. The electricity wasn't working, so I had to go back to the car and grab a flashlight. Inside, the the place was chaos. It looked abandoned, trash everywhere, old furniture stacked up in the middle of the room, graffiti on the walls, big putrid puddles on the floor under holes where the roof had caved in. I was in what looked like a reception area. Beyond that, there was a hallway with offices on either side, doors with cheap-looking frosted windows. I went into each office. They were oppressive, dingy little places, filled with things that scurried away from the flashlight beam. A few of them were completely empty. Most were crammed with garbage and broken furniture. In one, though, I found a whole stack of letterhead, water-stained and yellow with age, and sure enough, there it was, printed across the top, a drawing of a little snow globe and the words, Winterland Memories. I kept going. Eventually, the hallway opened into this huge warehouse-type space, a storage or shipping area, I guess. It was a long, open room with a concrete floor. One of the corners of the roof had caved in, and a little bit of snow was drifting in. The place smelled like a landfill. On every side of me, there were giant, rusted machines and wooden crates taller than I am, all stamped with the word fragile. And there... On the floor, in the middle of the room, were dozens and dozens of snow globes. A huge pile of them, all smashed open on the concrete, shattered, ruined. Among the glass and the bases, there were hundreds of little plastic people lying there scattered like dead goldfish. It looked as though a whole crate of snow globes had spilled out and broken on the floor. The water from inside them had dried, but it had left this dark gray stain on the concrete. I I can't tell you the feeling that came over me at that point. All of those little people, like, like a replica of some kind of mass grave. All of those half-moons of broken glass, jagged and gleaming. It, it was downright sinister. For the first time, I felt a sense of danger, of rejection, I guess, as if the thing I was pursuing so hopefully was telling me in no uncertain terms to go away, as if I was disturbing something that didn't appreciate being disturbed. Ted, mother, listen, this is where it gets really strange, but I swear to you I'm telling the truth. I was there in the big open room, totally amazed, looking over this this wreckage, when out of the corner of my eye, I saw something move. It was a light. The beam from another flashlight. At the far end of the big room, there was an office. A cubicle, really. Just a little private corner behind a few flimsy-looking partitions. The walls only went up about six feet, and in the middle of them was another one of those doors with a frosted window. The light had come from inside that little office. I was sure of it. As soon as I turned to look, it blinked out. I froze. I I had no idea what to do. I was there illegally, after all. 
I should have run, but I couldn't. Instead, I turned my own flashlight off, and I stood there in the dark, and I just... waited. Without the light, it was too dim to see anything except the hole in the roof. I held my breath and listened. For a while, all I could hear was my heart pounding. But then... Then faintly, far away, I heard a door open. The door to the little office across the room. I don't know what came over me, but I went toward it as quietly as I could. I found my way around the pile of shattered snow globes and went over to the little office. The door was wide open, and I went in. Like the other offices, this one was a wreck. Old boxes, planks of wood, reams of paper, and cheap, broken furniture piled up and covered with dust and mildew, but... Unlike the others, in the middle of this office was a desk. Once I was absolutely sure there was no one else in there with me, I shone my flashlight on it. And there, right there in the middle of the desk, was a picture frame with the glass broken out. And inside the frame was this. Oh my god. Oh my god, Sam, you can't be serious. Is that it? Is that the one? That's the one. See the red coat? The scarf Dad is wearing? The the shopping bags we're holding? That's the photo I was looking for last night, and it's exactly the same. It's exactly like the image in the snow globe. Sam, this is... this is amazing. I know. When I picked it up, my head was spinning. I, I thought I was hearing all sorts of things. Voices, footsteps. I I came out of the office and swept my flashlight around. And that's when I saw the fire. At first it was just a flickering light in the narrow hallway I had passed through, but I turned around and saw another flame in the opposite direction, then another. I knew I had to get out, but I didn't know where to go, so I ran back toward the hallway and... Ted, Mom, while I was running, while I was bolting to that hallway, hoping to make it through before the fire spread too much, I swear to you, I brushed right past somebody, somebody there in the dark room with me, somebody I never saw, but I felt him, and I smelled him, and I know exactly who it was. It's all right, Samantha. It's all right. I wanted to stay and look for him. I I wanted to try at least, but the fire was spreading, and I I had to get out. I I had to get out. Sam, this this is incredible, this whole thing. I'm not sure what to say. I know, and I know it's crazy, but... It was him, Ted. There's no question in my mind. He was there. He was there. Samantha, shh, darling. It's all right. It's all right. I believe you. You do? Yes, I do. Listen, whatever's going on here is beyond me, I think. After all, I've never been the brightest bulb in the marquee. But look at you, dear. You're so sure. It's affected you so strongly. How could I do anything but believe you? Thank you, Mom. Thank you. Plus, to be honest, it would be just like your father to stir up all this trouble, then slip away without even showing his face. (laughs) Speaking of which, Ted, dear, is there anything the matter with Larry? What? Larry. You remember him, sunken eyes, terrible attitude, reeking of booze. I'm worried. He sounded so strange on the phone. Oh, right, um... What did he say? I don't know, something incomprehensible as usual. Something about getting lost. 
Mrs. Wexler, listen, I don't... I mean, I don't want to alarm you or anything. It's just that, well, there's a possibility that Larry may have... Larry, there you are, my God. We were just about to call animal control and report an escaped mongrel. Wait a minute. What are you doing? What in the world is that? What do you mean, what is it? What does it look like? It looks like foliage. It's a Christmas tree, Mom. Larry Cartwright, are you insane? Don't you dare drag that awful thing across my living room. Hello, Sam. Good to see you again. Hey, Ted. Hi, Larry. We were just talking about you. Oh, Lord, Larry, whatever possessed you to bring a tree into our home? Homes were built to keep people away from nature. (laughs) You know, love, I gotta tell you. I was out there on the road and I was thinking about, well... Everything. All the stuff you never told me. About Samantha's father and how he left. How he died. Everything. And I thought to myself, what could make up for it? What could possibly ever repair all that? And you know what I realized? I have no idea. Maybe nothing ever can. But then I thought, you know what wouldn't hurt? A Christmas tree. I mean, here it is, the 25th, and we don't even have one. There's a reason for that, Larry. Oh, the needles are already all over the carpet. Since it's so late in the season, I figured I could find one at a steep discount, which I did. And by discount, I mean I lifted it from a parking lot full of them. Ha <laughs> ha! But don't worry, the Knights of Columbus won't even miss it. Ah, there. Perfect. <sighs> well, all right, not quite. We'll need something to help stand it up. Oh, and decorations, too, of course. Oh, Larry, you are an unbelievable human being. Absolutely impossible. I'm sure I can find a bucket or something to stand it up in. Oh, God, the things I do for love. Glad to have you back, Larry. Glad to be back, Ted. Sorry if I scared you earlier. I'm just relieved you didn't decide to do anything drastic. We've had enough drama for one night, I think. You know, Ted Wardo, a great man said something to me once. He said, we're all counting on you, Larry. What a wonderful thing, don't you think? To be counted on, to be needed, even if it uh, only is for damage control. Larry, I found a bucket, but it's got some kind of scum water in it. You're gonna have to clean it up. (sighs) See what I mean? Coming, dear! What was that all about? I'll tell you some other time. Sam, listen. What a bizarre, amazing experience. Are you sure you're all right? I... I will be. But it's shaping up to be kind of a strange Christmas, isn't it? You can say that again. What do you think it all means? Well, Professor, you're the expert on interpretation. You tell me. All right. Maybe the, uh... Maybe the snow globes are representative of your childhood dreams, and the, uh... Come on, Ted. I'm not a freshman. Don't give me the 101 version. Fair enough. Honestly, Sam, I'm at a loss, but here's something you may not have thought about. Maybe this whole thing was a message. Maybe we just haven't been reading it right. What do you mean? Think about it. You were shown a vision of one night. One night, years ago, when you went Christmas shopping with your father. So? So all this time you thought it was about him, because he was the one who was there with you. But Sam, when the two of you were out that night, who were you shopping for? Uh Mom. We were looking for something for Mom. The perfect gift. (laughs) Just a thought. It's a good one. You know, you never cease to amaze me, Professor. And then what?
want, Larry? Will you throw the popcorn at it and hope it sticks? Oh, come on, Bess. You're telling me you never trimmed the Christmas tree? Where did you grow up? Narnia? Hell? What do you say we lend a hand with the deck oh, ready before it turns like violent? I like that. Ted? Yeah? Oh, There's still a lot I don't understand, but somehow, believe it or not, I feel better. Well, that's good enough for one Christmas. A year at a time, huh, Sam? A year at a time. It's a tree! It's one tree! I mean, the rest of the house is covered in plastic plants already. If you love trees so much, Larry, why don't you go live in the forest? Listening to Act Two of Chatterbox Audio Theater's production of Snow Globe. Featuring Jennifer Henry as Samantha, Alan Busby as Ted, Anne Sharp as Bess, and Greg Bowler as Larry. Music by Catherine Whitfield and Robert Arnold. Produced by Eric Sefton. Written and directed by Robert Arnold. This is your announcer. Tom Badgett. Chatterbox Audio Theater is a nonprofit, web based community theater that advances the exchange of ideas by channeling creativity and artistic collaboration into recorded audio works that enlighten entertain, and inspire. Download all of our shows free at www.chatterboxtheater.org. And that was Snow Globe Part 2 by Chatterbox Audio Theater. Lots of wonderful stuff at chatterboxtheater.org. Um, highly, highly recommended. Um, more coming. Uh, we will have more audio programming throughout the month of December and then uh, fresh stuff to start the new year. So, uh, yeah, en- enjoy yourself. It's been a wonderful year here on Radio Drum Revival, uh, moving into almost four years of podcasting for you. So uh, how about that? <laughs> Pretty exciting stuff. So uh, in the meantime, remember, you can find over 150 hours of audio drama programming at radiodramarevival.com. You can find out all about the latest in audio drama news following us on Twitter, at Radio Drama, search Facebook, also there, Radio Drama Revival. Also find us on iTunes, search for Radio Drama Revival. That wraps it up for this week. Radio Drama Revival is produced by yours truly, Fred Greenhalgh. Copyright of individual shows remains their original producers, but do please share this show as far and widely as you like. Radio Drama Revival originates in on-air radio at WMPG-FM, Greater Portland, Maine's community radio. It is podcast at radiodramarevival.com as a labor of love. Till next time, keep your mind and your ears open. Thanks for tuning in and have a great week. (laughs) 